0: Amen. And uh, so I just want you to know um, the walls that have been broken down, they're not rubber. They are rubble. All right. I said rubber. And I want to share something with you this morning in rehearsal. Um, and it's, it, it had to have happened to me, Melanie, uh, because in rehearsal, I was like, hey, how about, you know, this is a good key for you ladies to sing the verses. And, then, you know, we can kind of, you know, work off each other and stuff like that. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, you know. And she, and when Melanie gets kind of going and she's ready, you know, she does this little thing where she kind of like just and brings it in, and she's like ready to go. She said, in this town of desperation. I'm like, you really hitting Lebanon like that, huh? <laughs> Melanie, please don't quit. I love you. But I had to tell on you, so what I did didn't seem as bad. But anyway, <laughs> isn't that what we do? Turn your Bible to Jonah. Although, you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Uh, Our community is desperate for Jesus, amen? And so let's never forget that because that should keep us fueled and motivated uh, to always share his name. But we come to the close of this amazing story. And when I say that we come to the close, usually I don't mean that, right? I mean that we're kind of getting closer to the close. But this morning, we're going to actually close uh, this book of Jonah. And we have seen God's grace and mercy even in the midst of, of his prophets' rebellion. Now, let me just ask this question, and and I don't want to ask cliche questions, but I think this question is very important. Aren't you glad that God does not give up on His children? Amen. I mean, if anyone deserves to be given up on, it was the pouting prophet Jonah. If anyone deserved just to be zapped out of this world, it was the pouting, pitiful prophet Jonah, the self-centered prophet, uh, God's man. But God continued to have compassion on him and patience. Now, last week we saw what can happen when we say yes to God's will. Look in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says this. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three Day's journey. So we see here that Jonah preached. Now, what did he preach? Exactly what God told him to preach. Well, what was that? Verse 4 tells us. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He is warning of the coming judgment of this great city. He is warning that if you do not turn from your evil ways, you do not turn from your wickedness, you do not turn from your sin, God is going to destroy this city. That was the message. By the way, I want you to understand something. We need more messages like that today. We need people to understand that God is going to judge the earth. God is going to judge the wicked, the unrighteous. But thank God my righteousness was as filthy rags. But because of Jesus, my righteousness is now his righteousness. And I don't have to worry about the coming judgment. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, listen to me right now. I hope I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. I hope the spirit of the living God and, I, and I, I believe that he is every time the word is preached. People say, well, what if you're not getting drawn? What if?" Hey, listen, when you preach the gospel, I believe people are drawn. Now, they, now they, they, they can uh, call upon the name of the Lord and believe in their heart or not, but, but I believe people are being called. But right now, I just want to ruin your Sunday for a second. If you are convicted and God is drawing you to Jesus, I hope you don't enjoy anything. I hope you don't hear anything except that Jesus loves you Amen. and Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no, no, no matter who other people think you are, if you're lost, that's all that matters. You need Jesus. You say, well, what will happen to my past? Well, in God's eyes will be wiped away. And let me just tell you something. That's the only eyes that matter. Yep. So today you can be saved, calling upon the name of the Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that, he, that God raised him from the dead. So I just want to kind of put that forth this morning right out of the gate, okay? But what happened when Jonah preached? Well, God blessed his obedience. Repentance took over the entire city. Even the king and his nobles put out, uh, put out off their royal attire and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. In other words, they were saying that I am miserable, that I am helpless, that I, I am ashamed of the evil that I have done. A fast was decreed throughout all the all of Nineveh. Even the animals could not eat, eat or drink. Now, why would they do this? Well, they believe what Jonah said they believed that God would do exactly what he said he would do. I want you to understand something. When you believe God, you'll act upon that belief. When you realize that God, that God is the creator, that God, when he says something, it will happen. That'll, that'll render a different response. There's churches all over the place in our world. There's churches right here in our town. There's a church right here that a lot of times we hear preaching and we amen and we do this, we do that. And listen, I love amens. I love hallelujahs. I love all that stuff. I love the shouting. However, you're going to do what you believe. You're going to act on what you believe. So do you believe the message of the gospel? They believe what Jonah said. Look at verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Do I believe that there was actual repentance in Nineveh? Well, God saw their works and saw him turn from evil. Look at verse 10. And God saw their works and they turned from their evil, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Let me ask you something. Do you believe God that he will do what he said he will do? Can I lovingly say how you answer with your words means absolutely nothing. We, Us in the church, we know how to respond with our words. It's like our children, right? They they know what you want to hear. Right? They know what they, they know what you are ex- expecting, and they can say it, but if their actions don't back it up, you are in disobedience. But here they believed and they actually lived out their belief. Your life answers that question for you. So how is Jonah feeling now? A whole city repents of their evil, a king legislates obedience to God, a fast. He's in sackcloth and ashes. The king and all his nobles, everyone in the city, any preacher would dream of this. As a matter of fact, reading this, I dreamed of this. <laughs> I was thinking, how, how amazing would it be if this desperate city actually turned to God? How amazing would it be that it, when I preached the message and preached God's word, that, that, that when it was said and done, not, not just at the invitation, not at the altar call, it was day one of Jonah's mission trip that God moved. So maybe today, point one, God can move. Why do we wait till the altar call? Why do we wait for all these things? The people heard and they responded. I was dreaming about that. That is what we all strive for, right? If you've ever planned an event or a dinner and you strive for a response, you strive for whatever you're planning, for whatever you're doing to have, to have fruit. But, but how was Jonah feeling? Well, we're going to see that for ourselves. Now, we're going to read the entire chapter 4. And if you're there, say, read. It says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Now, I want you to know something. If you did not, if you've never read Jonah, which a lot of us have, because it's very common, that should confuse us a little bit. (laughs) He was very uh, angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, "'I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying "'when I was yet in my country? "'Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, "'for I knew that thou art a gracious God, "'and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, "'and repentest thee of the evil. "'Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, "'my life from me, for it is better for me to die "'than to live.'" Then said the Lord, "'Doest thou well to be angry?' So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, "It is better for me to die than to live." You see the emotional roller coaster we're on right now. And God said to Jonah, "Verse nine, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd?" And he said, "I do well to be angry even unto death." Then said to the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? The title today is very simple. We see the selfish prophet. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. For your word, I thank you, God, for just the attentive spirit here this morning. God, I pray that as I preach, you give me power, clarity, and wisdom, God, and freedom to preach your word. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a shocking response. Now, y'all know me as your pastor. And so could you imagine if we had a revival? Let's just say Harvest Day comes up, October 15th. And man, this place is packed out. By the way, that can actually, you know, legitimately happen. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, sometimes, listen, if y'all, were, if y'all were like a basketball team, I'd have to, anyway. But either way, let's say that Harvest Day comes out and man, old Ricky, well, little Ricky, he gets to preaching. And, and I'm talking about he's preaching the gospel, and all of a sudden people just start responding. And we see many, many, many dozens and dozens and dozens of people repent, get right with God, get born again. We see all the saints that are that are repenting of their sin and getting back right with God. We see a mighty move of the Lord. And then all of a sudden at the end of it, everyone's crying and everyone's forgiving each other and reconciling. And then you say, Where's Pastor Jacob? He said, where, where did he go? And I'm in my office, and I'm sitting there like this. You say, Pastor Jacob, what's wrong with you? I'm mad. Well, why? Did you not see? I'm mad because I knew God would do that. How crazy is that? How silly, guys? That's exactly what Jonah did. That's literally exactly. What Jonah did, how could anyone respond in such a horrible way to God working through an entire city? Jonah was selfish. So we're going to look at this. We see, number one, we see Jonah's reproach, right? Verses one and three, we see that God told him a second time, go and preach unto Nineveh. Preach it, the, the message that I give you. He got up, went to Nineveh, and he began to preach. And then when everything happened, Jonah was Mad as a matter of fact, verse 1 tells us in in, in verse uh chapter 4, that was chapter 3, sorry. In chapter 4, he tells us that Jonah was actually so mad that he was hot. Has anyone ever been so mad that you're hot? Raise your hand higher, Billy, amen. Right? See, you can you can tell with people that that have a little bit of less thickness up here because what they do is you can see it just kind of rise, the red just rise. And it keeps on arising, just right there. And i of a oh, man, you're hot, right? You can see it. You can physically see it. Listen, I'm not being mean. I'm just being real. But right there, he was hot. He was so angry. He was exceedingly mad. That phrase, again, become angry, literally means becomes hot. So what made Jonah so angry? Well, it, he reveals it in his prayer that he prays. He says right here in verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before in the Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. God's compassion was Jonah's displeasure. He was self-centered. Do you know how you can tell if you struggle with selfishness? When others receive God's goodness and you can't stand it. I'm talking spiritually because there's a lot of selfish people. I understand if someone gets success and you don't, you can't stand it, even if it's your friend or your family, you know, that's self-centered as well. But in God's house, in God's people, when you see someone, God bless somebody or, or God forgives somebody you think didn't deserve forgiveness and you get upset, that is selfishness. When God's mercy is shown to people you do not like just as it was shown to you and you can't stand it, that is selfishness. Really, what Jonah is displaying to us is a lack of understanding. See, he literally explains to God, This is why I fled. This right here, look at all those those wicked pagans turning to you. This is why I fled. Now, look closely to Jonah's grievance. Look look right here in in verse 2 again. Therefore, I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew. Now, what did he know? That thou art a gracious God. Merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth thee of evil. So, what did he know? Well, God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and kind. And Jonah hated it. He hated what God did. Now, if you're wondering how confusing this is, let me explain something to you. It's just as confusing to me. I mean, everything I'm saying does not make sense. Everything I'm explaining to you about Jonah makes no sense. Now, to understand where his mindset was, because we do have to understand this contextually, it is a good possibility that Jonah learned from Amos and Hosea that Assyria would be Israel's destroyer. So, so, so what he's thinking in his mind, right, he's strategizing uh, down the road because he prophesied uh, that, that Israel would actually come up and, and, and thrive, but then, then he also knows that they're going to be destroyed at some point. By the way, if you read the Old Testament, Israel's like this as well, right? God's people just up and down, up and down, obedient, disobedient, rebellious, you know, faithful, all these things, or, or faithful, rebellious, you know, all these things that you see in the Old Testament. But see, what he did not want is this. Nineveh was the head of the revived Assyrian military. So in his mind, he's thinking that if God would just destroy them, then I don't have to worry about them coming to destroy Israel. But if God does not destroy them, then it's going to be because of me that later on they will destroy Israel. And when we say destroy Israel, by the way, we're not talking about eternally or or legit. Israel's always gonna be there. That's God's chosen nation. You cannot defeat Israel. Does that make sense? I don't care what any other country says, any other nation that is God. Israel's gonna be there, okay? Amen? Amen. By the way, those that bless will be blessed. Those that curse will be cursed. But we'll continue this. Jonah believed his anger to be justified. Have you ever uh, believed your anger to be justified? Raise your hand again. Now, in those situations, right, how good are we to justify our anger? Pretty good. I mean, we become attorneys like that, right? We, we, we become some smooth talkers just like that. We become so crooked just like that, right? I mean, all, all, everything out the door, honesty out the door. We say, well, you know, I did it because of this or this. And, man, if you, if you look at the situation kind of like that and then balance your – now it looks like I should have done it, right? We do everything we can to justify our actions, Jonah's sitting here saying, hey, listen, God, you know what's coming. You gave me a word. I prophesied it. Why would you hinder the destruction of these people? Well, because God loved them. <laughs> it's as simple as that. But that shows his lack of understanding of how God works. The awe of God is that he is impartial. His goodness and mercy are for those who will receive it. At the worst, Jonah displays an absolute blatant disregard for human life and their eternity. So, where did that leave him? Well, look at verse 3 again. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. His hatred towards God's act of mercy had him rather dying than continuing to live. Could it be his pride? Did he preach with the anticipation that they would not repent? I want you to understand something. Pride is a a ministry killer in the church. Therefore, pride is a church killer. You have pride in the pews. You have pride in the pulpit. You have pride uh, in the the classrooms. There's going to come a fall. But he was prideful. I want you to understand something. And, And don't take this... Uh, uh, too literal. I, I, I just want to get your mindset in how we should have it. The best thing that can happen to the body of Christ is the worst sinner gets saved. Now what I'm saying, and when I say worst sinner, I'm, I mean your sin and my sin is just as wicked as anyone else's sin. So I, I don't want you to think, oh, there's, there's tears of sinners. Absolutely not. But I will tell you this, the best thing that can happen to us is the worst sinner in our community come to know Christ and join us. Now, that is, that is when God really, God's people should really rally around and say, man, God can save him. He can save anybody. As a matter of fact, God saved me. So I want to share the name of Jesus. But so often, what do we do? We pass by that worst sinner. We think that worst sinner deserves judgment. We think that person is so wicked and so evil and so vile that, that you know, don't, don't come to my church and sit by me and my family. A lot of times we act as Jonah in our communities and we see this mercy granted in Nineveh. But Jonah's hate for God's mercy toward Nineveh brought reproach. How did God respond, though? Now, remember, this book is not about Jonah. It's revealing God's divine nature. This book really, I could preach this entire book again and not even really mention Jonah. You understand what I'm saying? That'd be kind of a cool little series. But anyway. Right, you, you, I, I could preach the entire book of Jonah and not mention Jonah because really it's all about God displaying his character. God displaying his love. God displaying his truth and his righteousness and his justness. I want you to know if I was God, I would have zapped this little pouting prophet off of the scene. I would have whooped him. I mean, I would, I would have had a, a tree for a paddle, you know, because God's pretty strong, amen? And I would just, I'd have, Billy would have taught me how to swing a, a golf club, and I'd have, boom, just like that right there. You don't ever do that with a golf swing, do you? You don't lift your leg? Billy, why you standing at me like that? Come on, man. Maybe I'll get coached to teach me how to swing a bat then. I'll just do it that way. But either way, listen, God is long-suffering, however. Now, we see next, we saw Jonah's reproach, but now we see God's reasoning. Look at verse 4 and 5. Then said the Lord. Doest thou well to be angry? He's asking that question. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Notice God does not get angry. He does not act as we would act in this situation. He does not cast Jonah back into the sea. Jonah asked him to execute his wrath quickly. God, just take my life. I beseech thee, I beg you, take it. But how does God answer? Doest thou well to be angry? Uh, This is more clearly translated, is it right for you to be angry? God is patiently reasoning with Jonah. Well, God doesn't have to reason, he's God. It's not very—it's not very godlike to reason. It's very interesting how we would think that. Remember, when he was looking, uh, when when the Lord was with Abram or Abraham, and he was looking out on Sodom, and he 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 reasoned with God, and God reasoned back with him. Hey, if you can find fifty, if you can find all the way down to, if you can find ten righteous people, w- w- would you would you kill the righteous with the wicked? And God was reasoning with him. Now, we know what happened. He couldn't find them. Therefore, Sodom and Gomorrah had to be destroyed, and they were destroyed. But right here, God reasoning with Jonah does not show weakness or indecisiveness. It shows his love. I want you to think about it. As parents, have you ever tried to reason with your kid before before disciplining them? You should, (laughs) right? Right? You, you try to, you try to help them realize, hey, what are you doing? Why are you why are you screaming? Why are you angry? Why are you hitting your sister? Why are you doing this? Let's talk about this. Let's reason. Our heavenly Father does the same thing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can ask, why, why, why would you do that? Is this really worth getting bitter over? He, 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 the Holy Spirit asks me that question all the time. and sometimes I'm like Jonah, yes. And sometimes you like Jonah as well. But right here, he sees that we see that God is patiently reasoning with him. Now, Jonah, is it right to be angry? A question we should ask ourselves often. And I want you to know the answer is usually no. But as we've seen before, Jonah is stubborn. If you've ever been stubborn before, raise your hand. Amen. We have a lot of Jonah's up in here. And I could have raised my hand, by the way, on each of them, okay? I'll just go ahead and do it for you. There you go. All three questions I've asked so far. Verse 5, look at it. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. He knew God saw their turn from evil, but, but maybe I'll still get to see a fireworks show. Maybe, just maybe, God will, uh, will, will know my heart and know why I want these people destroyed, these, these men and women and children and families destroyed, because I want Israel to be, to be better and to be protected. So maybe God will listen to me and destroy them. Interesting how the mercy Jonah experienced at sea, he thought shouldn't be given to those in Nineveh. Nineveh should have died, I mean, uh, Jonah should have died in the sea. But God showed mercy to him because God had a purpose for him. But here, he doesn't want that same mercy for Nineveh. So we see him. Literally, could you imagine? God asked him a question. Now, we're just going on the text right here. God asked him a question. Uh, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah does not answer. Jonah just just walks off, just, huh sits down, pouting little prophet, sits down, and maybe God will still destroy. Could you imagine? I'm telling you again, thank goodness that, that God is who he is because I would have kicked him off to whatever he was at, and he would have fallen down and died. Because I'm telling you right now, if there's, wor- if there's anything that I cannot stand as a person, it is pouting. Oh, y'all like pouting? Are y'all powders? Let me tell you something. A whole lot of people in the church, they They pout. Oh, man, they, they, don't like, they don't like this, or they don't like that, or they don't get their way here, or they don't get their way there. And you know what they do? They do exactly what River does. They tuck their arms right there in their armpits. They go like a little and they just go their way. It's what y'all look like doing it too. Right there, all the way out. It's what you look like. You don't see it because you can't see yourself, but I can see it. Listen, hey, Jonah was pouting. He was like, man, it, this is not right. So once again, we see a selfish prophet. So we see God's reasoning. But number three, and this is, this is, so, this is beautiful right here, we see God's reproof. Look at verse 6 through 11. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a, sh- a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. We'll stop there. We'll get to the next part later. But God sent a gourd. Now, I have a picture of the gourd right here, Joe. You're going to have to skip a few because I didn't read all of it. But I have a picture of the gourd. So that right there, you can't really see it very good. But that that is most likely, scholars would say, that is a, a uh, um a certain kind of castor oil plant. Now, the cool thing about these vines, the cool thing about these gourds, right, because gourd just means vine in, in, in the Hebrew, is that they, they are known to rise up very quickly, but then also wither very quickly if, the, if, the, uh, if it's injured in any kind of way. So we see, isn't it cool that things in the Bible uh, we can see today? That's, that's pretty cool, I think. But right here, God had... Uh, comparison. He he. Or he had compassion even over the pouting prophet. Jonah, notice the the, the roller coaster here. Jonah went from mad and depressed, God, I beseech thee, take my life now. It is better for me to die than to live. Then all of a sudden, he's sitting there in the sun under a booth. By the way, if you you study that booth, it was something that wasn't very strong, didn't cast a lot of shade. But God prepared a gourd, and it cast shade over this pouting prophet. Now look, he goes from exceedingly unhappy, very hot, to look what it says right here, exceedingly glad. Can you relate to that church, going from one extreme to the other? I can. So right here, why? I mean, he rejoiced, he had great joy, but why was it? Not because many people turned to God, but because he had shade from the sun. Do you see the irony in that? He's not rejoicing, he's not not jumping up and down celebrating, he's not exceedingly glad because a revival hit the city. What he's he's glad about is because, man, the sun's not hitting me as much as it was. How shameful is that? Church, what causes us to be exceedingly glad reveals our heart. Amen. But God was just beginning the lesson. We see in verses 7 through 8 that God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. So God prepared the gourd. God prepared a worm. The gourd withered. And then the shade is gone. Then God prepared a, uh, a wind, and, and really what this means is a scorching east wind. This was not just heat from the sun, but also hot wind. Could you imagine hot wind? Have you ever turned on your AC and it comes out hot and hot? You know what I'm saying? Imagine God sending that, but not your AC, but for real. So, so Jonah went from exceedingly—actually, no—he went from exceedingly upset, very hot, mad, to within a moment, within just a little bit, to exceedingly glad. Oh, I got shade. Then all of a sudden, the shade's gone. Now I want to die again. I kind of feel that way at the beach. <laughs> I get out there. I'm like, it's hot. I'm hot. Everyone's hot. This is not good. Then I get that little, little umbrella just right. I'm just sitting there thinking, man, this is nice. Look at the water. God, it's so good. And then all of a sudden, the wind takes that umbrella. I'm like, I want to die again. It's too hot. All right, so we can, we can relate a little bit to what's going on here. But it's the circumstance that makes this embarrassing for Jonah, in my opinion. It's the circumstance that makes this sinful, the pride. So, so right here, verse 9, it says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? He's asking the same question that he asked him before. Is it right for you to be angry for the gourd? Now this time, notice he didn't answer about Nineveh, but he answers this time about the gourd. He pretty much tells God, Yup, it's right for me to be angry about this gourd. Do you see the contrast here? He was angry enough to die because he was his unconcern for the souls of Nineveh. Then he was just as angry, but this time for his own concern. Both reveals Jonah's selfishness. Next, God reveals the point of all this. Aren't you glad God didn't just leave us like that? He, he, he'll teach us. As a matter of fact, you do realize that the Holy Spirit is there as a helper, a comforter to remind us of what we've been taught. So God is teaching him his character. God is teaching him the truth right here. Then said the Lord in verse 10, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored. Neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle. I literally have in my Bible, mic drop, God, just get, God absolutely revealed to him how terrible he was being. Now, notice that that's the last verse of this book. We don't know what happened. Uh, we, we know we, we can read about Jonah, but we don't know exactly what happened after this with Jonah. But see, Jonah had affection for the gourd. Why did he have affection for the gourd? Well, that gourd contributed to his emotions, in such a way that it was attached to his experience that he had affection for that vine. He had affection for the shade. Why? Because it kept him out of the heat. It kept him from the sun. So therefore, he allowed something temporary to keep his affection. Although he had nothing to do with it, God prepared it, just like God prepared the worm and God prepared the wind, yet he hated the Ninevites, who God created in his image. One Bible scholar explained it like this, and I want to read this to you. Uh, It's probably going to be a little bit small, but that's okay. And I like this. This That's why I put it in here. I said, let's analyze this anger of yours, Jonah. He's kind of summarizing uh, in a conversation way uh, this text. It represents your concern over your beloved plant, but what did it really mean to you? Your attachment to it couldn't be very deep, for it was here one day and gone the next. Your concern was dictated by self-interest, not by genuine love. You never had the devotion of a gardener. If you feel as bad as you do, what would you expect a gardener to feel like who tended a plant and watched it grow only to see it wither and die? This is how I feel about Nineveh, only much more so. All those people, all those animals, I made them. I have cherished them all these years. Nineveh has cost me no end of effort, and it means the world to me. Your your pain is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. Now, again, that's not Scripture. That's a summarization. That's not a translation. Don't think I'm doing that. What I'm saying is that kind of puts it in perspective on the conversation they had. It kind of puts in perspective the compassion and the character that God has. See, God spoke that there were 120,000 people. Many scholars estimate that that, that, that including children, uh, there could have been upwards of 300,000 all the way to 600,000 people in Nineveh. And God loved all of them. Yet God's prophet hated them. His affection was inward. He loved what benefited Hisself, Church, what makes you rejoice? Right now, I want you to really think about this right now. What makes you, not the person beside you, not the person behind you or in front of you, what makes you rejoice? Things that benefit you? What makes you angry? Things that hinder your benefit? Jonah can be seen in many ways represented in all of us today. Keep in mind, Jonah was God's child. Jonah knew the Lord. We're not talking about someone who is lost here. We have a mission, a call from God, and yet all we care about is self so often at the time. Jonah experienced highs and lows throughout this entire story. I couldn't imagine hanging out with him. It'd be He's he's really angry then he's really happy then he's really angry then he's really happy he wants to die then he doesn't then he wants to die then he doesn't he wants to die then he doesn't And why because whatever's going on that hinders him and he doesn't he doesn't have that 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 that, that happiness in his life now he wants to die but when he does have that now he wants to live But notice throughout this entire story that God never changed this morning, I want to say, what does the answer to those previous questions reveal about you? Again, think about it. What, what, what makes you rejoice and what makes you angry? Two extremely revealing questions that we need to answer. Because God still hasn't and never will change. By the way, the things that make God grieved made God grieve from the beginning. The thing that makes God angry has always made God angry. The thing that causes God to rejoice has always made God, to re- uh, made God to rejoice. And I can tell you this the one thing that will break God's heart are his children living for self when in the born again uh, time you, were, you died to self, but yet you continue to try to live for you. So this morning, I wonder where, how you can answer those questions. I wonder this morning if we are like Jonah. And the reason why we don't share the gospel, the reason why we don't make our family a ministry, the reason why we don't care about those those lost people in our community, the reason why we... And you say, well, I do care about them. No, 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 no. When you care about them, it will change your actions towards them. I was uh, at the school, and uh, I was able to... Uh, they, they, I'm the FCA director, so I was able to have uh, certain conversations as the FCA director. Did I mention to you I was the FCA director? Hey Amen. Okay. just want to make sure everyone understands. And uh, and so I was talking to these individuals, and it was amazing because, you know, these kids, they get on my nerves. I mean, man, I'm sorry. I, I, I love them, but they get on my nerves. Did y'all experience that ever with kids? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of them that just, you know, mm. but I love them. And sometimes I can get distracted with all that, mm, you know what I'm saying, that I don't look at everyone in that school as souls. Even as FCA director, even as someone that literally preaches them every Wednesday morning, sometimes I can kind of get through the motions and not realize why God has me there. And so there was, there was a moment to where I was able to take a step back and realize, hold on, let me, let me stop being, uh, which I'm still the coolest, you know, the coolest person sub there. So, I, you know, they actually, oh, they had another sub, and that's what they said. She came up to me. She said, you know what? When I sub, they always tell me that you're the coolest, that I'm like, they love me, but they love you more. And I said, girl, I said, you know what they tell me? That I'm the coolest, but they love you more than they love me. I'm like, they're a bunch of manipulative. I'm like, what? But what I'm trying to say is this. I was able to have a very good conversation, if that makes sense. I'm trying to be careful here. Have a very good conversation. And in that moment, it was almost like they, they, they're sitting there and they're, they're almost shocked at the conversation we're having, right? Because they're thinking, wow, you care. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, how often do we as Christians talk about caring, talk about loving, talk about compassion, but yet the community and the lost people around us, they look at us and they think they don't care. They don't love us. They, they don't have compassion over us. They sit there in that nice little church. They do their nice little worship. They, 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 they go to their nice little homes, but they don't care about us. Guys, can I tell you something? Let's not be like Jonah. Let's not get upset when God shows mercy and grace to others, but let's be the, let's be the instrument that God shows that mercy and grace. And then when He does, let's celebrate that. Amen? When has bound eyes closed all over this place? I just wondered this morning.